0: I'm going to start with talking with Larry. Good morning, Larry.
1: Good morning, Bob. Happy New Year.
0: And the same to you, sir. Thank you.
1: Well, my New Year has been greeted by a ton of crabgrass.
0: Well, that's uh, that's my problem. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising considering how moist it has been. But uh, if you want to get rid of it, get out there with that vinegar and orange oil. You won't hurt your basic uh Uh, turf grass in any way, and you'll kill out that crabgrass within um, literally within minutes.
1: I'll do that. Uh, How do I keep it from getting so vicious next year?
0: Try to keep it from going to seed the year before, because it's an annual grass, and um, if you can keep it where you don't kill it, if you can keep it shredded down and just hope and pray that your neighbors do the same, but if you can keep it shredded down to where it never makes the seed heads, then uh, you won't have a problem with it the next spring because it's coming back from seed every year when it sprouts back up.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. It, you know, you hear about the preventative, uh, what, what do they call that?
0: Pre-emergent.
1: Pre-emergent, yes.
0: And here's the thing about pre-emergence, and it's, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because it's a very common misconception. People think that pre-emergence kills seeds. They do not they kill the seedling as it sprouts and starts to grow, and the way they do that is they inhibit the formation of a root system on these weeds, and when the the weeds have no roots and we have a dry condition, they just dehydrate and die. The problem is when we have a very moisture like we're having right now, those little weeds can exist for a long time without any root system, and consequently uh, the pre-emergent breaks down, decomposes, goes away, and then the weeds just decide, well, what the heck, okay, we've hung on through here, let's make some roots. So pre-emergence are not effective you know we're in a very moist season and they're also not effective uh and of course that's not what we're worried about this time of year but things like the grass burrs those things can germinate anytime march through september so you'd have to put your pre-emergent out four or five times during the growing season and that will become cost prohibitive mm-hmm. um i'm gonna uh now things like compost are sort of a natural pre-emergent but uh I'm not into pre-emergence, especially not the chemical ones, but even the corn gluten meal uh, has gotten so expensive, I just don't think it's a good investment if you have any large area at all to do.
1: Okay, well, I've, I'm working on the compost pile. It's growing all the time.
0: Uh, that's now, a good thing.
1: Yeah, and uh, now put this in a sprayer, right, a handheld sprayer.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, I, If you've got any area, a little pump-up sprayer, a gallon and a half or so, uh, will be a lot easier cuz you pump it up and spray for a while and then stop and pump it up again it's a lot easier on the uh on the hand and yeah. uh you know you can do a much larger volume but you can't put it in a hose in sprayer because you don't dilute it down you use it uh straight it's uh, just the vinegar and orange oil combination with no water added
1: okay well hey thanks again bob Keep up the good
0: work. You have a great day, a great new year, and we'll talk again, Larry. Thank you.
2: Likewise.
0: Bye, bye. Uh, bye. Kim's up next. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm good. How about you?
3: Oh, I'm so happy to see the sunshine. It's, <laughs> it's like it's it's teasing me. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, getting out in that garden and you really want to start doing stuff and or actually in the flower beds more than the garden. I have a couple of questions. Okay. Uh, Dollar weed. Um, Is there any way besides just getting in there and getting the gratification of pulling out those really long root systems um, to get rid of that and keep it out?
0: Well, dollar weed is basically an aquatic plant. And if you have an issue, an ongoing issue with with it, it's telling you you're watering too often now in well,
3: right now the good lord's watering for us exactly watering. and that's why
0: this is not a real good time of year to try to control it and because it has that real waxy coating over the leaves unlike dicondra, which is also showing up right now uh, it's very very difficult to control with you know any sprays natural or chemical or otherwise but you know we're going to go back to a dry period that's one thing about texas we may have moist periods i always say texas is one long drought interrupted by occasional floods um, we are in an El Nino moist period, probably will be for another four to six months, so I'm pretty much going to live with the hydrocodile, the, the dollar weed, for that period of time, and then as we dry out, if you avoid watering, and most things, you know, don't need the kind of water we put on them, but in a dry season, the dollar weed will just die out and go away on its own.
3: Okay, well, the answer, I mean, I actually just got in there and dug and dug and dug. It was good therapy after having to be cooped up for a while. It's
0: good therapy uh, and good exercise.
3: Yes, yes, yes. Um, another another different, on a different subject, um, kale and like bok choy and things like that, when when you cut that back and use it, does do you need to replant or will that continue to grow? It's my first season to actually be successful with uh, kale and with okay. making a lot of smoothies with it. But when I cut it off, will it will, grow, will it grow more or do I need to replant?
0: What you should do with kale is just cut off the individual leaves and leave. Okay. Are you growing the taller Toscano kale or are you growing one of the lower it's ones? Like that has a
3: curly leaf. It's like a curly leaf okay. kale. I don't know the yeah. name of just, it.
0: Just keep harvesting the outside leaves and it will go okay. right on producing up until the weather gets hotter, which time it will go to flower and then pretty much die out bok choy is the same way but you have a choice really with your bok choy you can either you know harvest the older leaves and just you know enjoy eating it one leaf at a time so to speak or you can harvest the entire head of bok choy and there's a variety of bok choy they actually call baby bok choy that's you know, one of my favorite forms of bok choy, and you harvest it when it's about six inches, uh, five to six inches high. And on that one, you usually just harvest the whole plant, and then of course replant it. If you grow the bigger bok choy's, and you choose to do so, uh, you can treat it just like kale or spinach or anything else. You just keep taking the outside leaves, and it keeps making more new ones to the inside.
3: And then eventually, I see a couple of mine already starting to want to bolt, and I cut the flowers off, but I didn't is Am I just not eating it fast enough, or
0: well we you know we went from having some fairly severe cold in October, late October, and now we 're back to these seventy degree days, and that's going to make some things bolt some things by cutting the flowers off. You'll stimulate some more foliage production. In many cases, though, once a plant has started to bolt, it's pretty much through with making a quality leaf, and you may want to go ahead and do some replanting where you're seeing things bolt. But it's it has to do Can with the weather. Can
3: we'll I bok choy at this point?
0: Absolutely. Now, bok choy okay. is one of our least cold-hardy greens, so especially... Planting, you know, either tender plants or seed. Be prepared to cover it when we get those frosty days, because even a heavy frost can be damaging to bok choy. But uh, it certainly loves the cool weather as far as growing, and uh, it's a great time to grow bok choy. But if we do get some real frosty nights, uh, it is one of your Asian greens that I sure would plan to put some insulator, some sort of row cover over.
3: Okay. Now I have another question slash observation. My hibiscus, my and they're the tropical hibiscus, of, okay. like the orange crush and the, um, I don't know, cool baby and pink. Oh, they're there are
0: hundreds of varieties.
3: Hundreds, hundreds, yeah, thousands. But yeah. anyway, they're the great big plate-sized ones. Right now, with all the water that we've been getting and I guess the cooler temperatures, they are blooming better now than I've seen them bloom in a long time. Of course, last year they had to come back from that freeze, so it took them a little while during the summertime sure. to get going. Well, they are you know getting getting my height and they are blooming more than ever and i kind of i'm thinking that's kind of unusual with the the a little bit cooler weather and um the amount it, making me wonder if they need more water than I normally supply them, it, because they are doing really well with the water we're getting.
0: And they are doing they uh, the colors are. It's not necessarily the plants are doing that much better, but we we look at them and the colors are so much more intense in the flowers, especially the blues and purples, the things that are mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. by anthocyanins. But uh, even your your carotenoids and xanthophylls, the things that make the yellow and orange and red flowers, uh, they are just so much more intense with cooler temperatures and uh the, the flowers flower sometimes will actually last two days instead of one
3: they absolutely they are two to, yeah they'll, yes but so it's that's not unusual and they really do i mean because you would think part of me thinks because there's tropical they wouldn't be thriving as well right now as they would when it's
0: well you know, ninety five
3: degrees in the summertime if
0: they were if their our lows were twenty nine degrees instead of thirty five degrees well, they, they,
3: would be covered
0: there. They, they would not be doing as well, but they're in just a real happy zone right now. if you could arrange year round weather between say fifty degrees and seventy five degrees like Honolulu, like Maui, like mm-hmm. some more parts, places on Maui, but uh, then that would be the absolute ideal situation for hibiscus. And we're just, you know, every year is different. And we're right now just blessed with a year that is very, very much to the liking of, uh, of tropical hibiscus. So enjoy it while it lasts. Unfortunately, it's probably not going to be a real common occurrence.
3: Yeah. Okay. And last question. In um, going through the flower beds, I still, of course, have a lot of the, the summer um, flowers, and they're blooming, but kind of sparsely. Uh-huh. Um, but I want to know, like, but some of them are getting really leggy, like the vincos and the pintas and things like that. Um, and but yet, I can see new growth coming in down on the bottom. You know, the little. Mm-hmm. And if if I cut those off, will they? Um, take, would it be a bad thing if then it got cold, or if I cut them off? Will they just continue to regrow, and is it better to keep those old ones going into the spring if they happen to survive it, or um, would it be better to replant new those are all, all salvia?
0: excellent questions um they if you were to cut them back, they would regrow, but very slowly um, they they grow quickly in the heat they grow very slowly in the cool. And Mother Nature made those things to live one season. They, You might be able to coax a second season out of them, but you've got – plants get their own form of hardening of the artery, so to speak. And so we refer to it as senescent tissue. It's literally senile plant tissue, and it will never be as pretty the second year, and – Uh, Some things like begonias, people will even try to nurse a third season out of them. And if you want wimpy kind of not real vigorous or spectacular plant, sure, you can do that. Um, But if you have plants that are really valuable to you that are annuals, what you can do is take cuttings because that cutting tissue is brand new. It's not a year old like the root system is. And you can propagate some of these things indefinitely. um, Rel- relatively speaking by you know continuing to take new cuttings and things like that but as far as trying to nurse the old plants along no you're much better to pull them up and replace them
3: okay that's okay and what about the salvia because i know some of the is. Salvias- can't I, I some of the salvias are not annuals, right
0: many I would say probably eighty five percent of the salvias are normally perennial uh, salvias okay. are a huge genus of plants, and uh some of them are evergreen. Some of them remain upright but drop their leaves during the winter. Many others actually freeze back to the ground. So it's very hard to generalize about salvias unless you know which specific one we're talking about. Some of them are always annuals. Some of them are always uh, evergreen perennials. And lots of them fall in that kind of no man's land in between.
3: Okay. Um, Can I cut them back? And will they be okay if I cut them back?
0: If uh, they are ones, I've
3: got the blue. I've got the blue. I know I've got the Gregii.
0: Yeah, Gregii. I
3: have a a red, like a red that kind of goes nuts and gets tall.
0: Okay, the little
3: red flowers.
0: Most of the blues are ones that would normally freeze back. Indigo spires. um, Oh gosh, uh, Farinacea. Yeah, you might as well cut those back. They'll be much prettier if you do. The things like salvia greggii, Uh the pink is by far the one that stays prettiest. I like cutting it back right at the end of winter, mid to late February. You can cut it back pretty severely, and it will come back out beautifully. Now, with the reds, uh, there are lots of different reds. Um, if they have a sort of soft succulent stem, yes, cut them way back. If they have a woodier stem, there's actually a red form of gregii, um, do the same thing, prune it back right at the end of winter, beginning of the spring. Uh, the there are some of them like the so-called tropical sage, salvia coxtenia, that is going to freeze to the ground virtually every year. Those you might as well cut back to an inch tall. But you mm-hmm. almost have to look at your is just on a plant by plant basis because there are so many different kinds.
3: Well. I will definitely, and then I'll do that, but yeah, most of, you know, right now, because our plants are so confused too. because we haven't gotten that right. cold yet. In fact, all my plumeria are still out. I just keep looking at the 10-day forecast.
0: Sure. Because it's yeah.
3: so much work to bring them. in
0: Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. The The thing I would um, tell you about on your salvias is there are mm-hmm. a number of the salvias that are short-day bloomers. They bloom either not at all until we get into the short days of fall, or they bloom mm-hmm. most heavily the short days of fall. With those plants, the nice thing is that if they don't freeze back over the winter, you'll get a very heavy bloom period in early spring, which we normally don't get. And if you're premature in cutting back, you're sacrificing all those spring flowers. But anything which has frozen... And uh, we're sure not out of the woods for cold weather. We're just now moving Mm -hmm. into typically our coldest winter or weather of the year. I'm not going to prune them back until, you know, either they freeze back or, in the case of your short-day bloomers, until they put on that spring bloom. And then I'm going to be pretty severe with pruning shears.
3: Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Valuable information as usual.
0: Great questions as usual, Kim. I certainly do, too. Uh Thank you. Goodbye. John's been waiting longest. Good morning, John. Good morning. Morning. Um, morning. My first question is what varieties of
1: pears do you recommend for the San Antonio area?
0: They are all going to be hard pairs. The softer pairs are very susceptible to bacterial fire blight, have very short lifespans. But your harder pairs, and they're quite a number, kefir and orient are probably the two that have been around longest. Uh There's one called warren, W-A-R-R-E-N. That's a very good pair. Uh, there's monterey. There's moonglow. Uh, there's, golly, the, the list just goes on and on. But if you're looking for that, uh, real soft pear that you find in the grocery store, it unfortunately is not going to grow here.
1: And do you have any company that sells the bare root ones?
0: Uh, call Fanix. I think they still sell a, they sell both containerized and bare root um they they're probably open now if you want to give them a call the phone number of course 210 area code six four eight one three zero three. we talk so often that that's one number it's kind of like dr kirby his numbers are embedded in my brain but fanix is uh by far the biggest uh company around as far as Uh, selling a wide range of fruit trees. And some of the things they sell for other parts of South Texas don't necessarily do well here, but you will find some pear varieties that should last 80 years for you.
4: All right.
1: Uh, My last question is, what time of year do you recommend um, transplanting a Sega palm?
0: Hottest part of the summer um it and if you're meaning by transplanting if you're going to dig it up from one place and move it to another uh july august are the times to do it now if you're just taking it out of a pot and putting it in the ground that's planting that's not transplanting and you do that 365 days a year but here's the deal with true palms and with cycads like your so-called sago palm when you cut a root on that plant it dies all the way back to the trunk and so there's no percentage in trying to put a big root ball on it because 90 percent 99 percent of those roots are going to die totally anyway and that's why you can transplant a big sago with a very small root ball but if you do it in the middle of uh, the cooler season and that soil is cold it won't start growing new roots until it warms up so it's sitting there basically with no roots through several months when you're doing it in a season when the soil is really hot they start regrowing that root system immediately and hardly even know they've been transplanted. So it's not as much fun for the tour you know, when it's 95 to 105 degrees out there. But uh, sagos and true palms, if you're going to dig them to damage the root system, that's the time of year you have to do it to be guaranteed success.
1: All right. Well, I sure appreciate the, the answers.
0: Thanks, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. Virginia is next good morning Virginia
5: good morning I have some sharp questions but it probably needs a long answer uh one thing we have a magnolia tree that a little over a foot tall that came up right by the sewer system okay and I want to keep the tree but I don't want to kill it I want to move it and put it in a pot to I find a good place for it is Big, that possible
0: uh it's very possible and today would be a good day to do it we we're just talking about palms and sagos we do those in the hottest part of the year Mm-hmm. Woody evergreens, well, most magnolias are evergreens or a few uh, deciduous magnolias, but woody plants, uh, January, February, best time of the year to dig them and move them. So the uh, main things are don't let the root system dry out. Dig it, mm-hmm. replant it in very rich soil, immediately water it in thoroughly, a little garret juice or Super Thrive or something, and it you should have about a 98% chance it will grow and do well for you.
5: How deep would the roots go if the tree is only like a little over a foot? It's bushy. I didn't even know it was there. And uh, it doesn't mowed off or anything. It's just bushy.
0: Yeah, a lot depends on the type of soil. But if you were to dig a root ball that was, uh, you know, a foot in diameter, six inches, you know, out all the way around um, uh-huh. you'll be doing everything you need to transplant that and, and dig down six or eight inches, but, um, you're going to cut some roots, but you're also going to preserve a high percentage of the roots and that's going to make your transplanting very successful.
5: Okay. Next question. Is there any way to get mites out of the yard? I'm not talking about plant mites. I'm talking about mites that, you know, get on dogs and yep. stuff. Cause yep. I treated my dog.
0: Um, Cedar oil or any of the herbal oils are probably the best thing against mites. Um, including chiggers, but, you know, they're, they're like you say, there are many, many different kinds of mites. And uh, a mm-hmm. cedar oil or rosemary oil or there used to be a product out there called Bioganic that was a combination of lavender, rosemary, and two or three other oils. But any of your herbal oils are going to be the best thing going to be safe for your other plants but to uh, pretty effectively get rid of the mites.
5: Okay, you spray that on the lawn or... or- how do
0: you do that wherever the problem is occurring most commonly it is the lawn but uh there's some you know perennials and things like that you can occasionally have mite issues on
5: okay uh if you want to raise a blueberry i know everybody says don't you know but if you want to raise a blueberry how do you acidify the soil without peat moss
0: uh with core c-o-i-r or compost um, those two things both produce tremendous amounts of humic acids and fulvic acids. So, uh, if you want a woodier product, a CORE is spelled C O I R and it's decomposed coconut fiber. But any good potting soil that's real rich in compost would be fine for your blueberries.
5: Okay. Well, I think that's it. Uh, I, oh, another thing uh, dewberries and blackberries. When's the best time to get them out? Somebody wanted some of my blueberry—I mean, my blackberries. Uh huh. And and uh, dewberries. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how to how to give them any and without giving them all my
0: plants. So I don't know how to do this. Well, you know, with uh, with both of those plants around the mother plant, so to speak, you'll have little offshoots decide to sprout and come up. Uh, it starts uh-huh. fairly early in the spring. As soon as you see those come up above ground level, just take a good shovel full of soil along with those, and they transplant very easily. Ninety-nine percent of them will take root and grow very well. But uh, just don't don't try to transplant the big plants, plus uh, those ones that gave you the berries this year. But yeah, when they start uh-huh. putting those little secondary plants start coming up around them, you just divide and share and replant to your heart's content.
5: Okay, I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a good weekend.
0: You do the same. Thank you, Virginia. Bye. Uh, Good morning, Kelsey.
6: Hi, Bob. Hi there. Uh, My husband and I recently purchased a house that had an above-ground pool, which we removed.
0: Uh
2: Uh-huh.
6: And below that, there's just a bunch of sand, I guess, to help level it out. Um, We didn't really know, do we need to haul that sand off, or if we kind of rake it around, is that going to be bad for the soil if, if we reseed?
0: No, it really won't be. I mean, I would mix some compost with it. Uh, the problem is you don't really want to blend it into a clay soil. People think sand makes soil softer. Uh With a clay soil, I mean, clay plus sand equals concrete. So I would not work at blending it in. I would work at adding compost to it. I would work at spreading it over a wider area. And uh it should be no problem to you. It's going to always dry out a little bit faster in the surrounding more clay-like soils, but, uh, no reason to have to do a lot of work or go to a lot of effort. You can plant anything you like in there. You may have to use a little bit of extra fertilizer. You may need to go over that area twice with your fertilizer spreader instead of just once, but uh, you got plenty of other fun projects to tackle, or maybe I'm, I'm, so, I'm not so fun with uh, with an existing house. Congratulations, by the way. It's a, it's a great step, but uh, don't let this be a big problem to you. Work in some compost where you can spread it around. where you can if you need to level it out and go on with your life
6: okay and then so for reseeding that area i'd like to do it probably with a native mix um you know it's an area where we'll probably want to use and you know maybe uh yard like so i didn't know do you recommend something like thunder turf or something like that that might work out there
0: um is it a sunny area
6: it's it's got um oaks surrounding it so it's kind of partially shady
0: okay that's going to be more of a challenge. The only grass that's really going to do well for you there is going to be one of the St. Augustines. Um, I love St. Augustine. I think many people just have too much of it. And so if you plan to use it as a, you know, as a turf area, uh, I'd plant, you know, one of the good uh, St. Augustines, Del Mar, uh, Palmetto, one of those. I might reduce the amount of grass I had in another part of the yard because I think that's what really the modern landscape should be. You should designate a part of the yard that you want to have turf grass, and then you should go to more beds and ground covers and hardscape and things like that in the other areas. And what you're going to have to do is just – and and things will change over time, but study your new landscape, figure out what part of the yard – is going to be a heavy traffic use area for kids, for dogs, for grandkids, for, you know, you and your, you know, immediate family, whatever, and make it a beautiful turf grass area. But then the other areas around, uh, go with more drought tolerant plants, go with more native plants, go with more resilient plants. And, uh, you don't have to do this all at once, but, Try when you have the opportunity, you know, experience if you've had with other landscapes, look around at the landscapes you like and see what you can do to bring in the good features into your own landscape. And then if it takes you five years to incorporate all your ideas, so be it. But um, there's not going to be really any grass that you can plant inexpensively from seed in this area so if it is an area that you do plan to use for a lawn grass I'd, I'd be looking to just put in a, a limited amount of St. Augustine sod
6: okay yeah we're, we're on an acre so a lot of it's just kind of wild random um, probably mixture of native and non-native and
0: that's oh. that's a great area for most of it to be but the area that your family's going to use intensively um, I still love St. Augustine. It doesn't get sugars. It has the longest green season. It's the softest, nicest grass to run around barefoot in. Uh, the problem's not with St. Augustine. The problem's with people sometimes just have too much of it. So you need to just look at this new landscape and, and kind of lay out the areas. Maybe you want an outdoor kitchen. Maybe you want, uh, you know, a greenhouse. Maybe you want a big deck area where you can, uh, put out some uh, outdoor furniture and things like that. But start making these plans, even if it's going to take you an extended period of time to implement them. What I do not want to see you do is do something now and then decide next year that you have to totally redo that area. Do it thoughtfully, and it'll be good for you for years to come, if that makes sense.
6: Yep, definitely. Good advice. Um, One other question. I was wanting to get a peach tree, probably more of a dwarf variety. Do you uh, what do you recommend for Northern Bear County?
0: Well, unfortunately, most of the dwarf peaches um, are are higher chilling uh, peaches that are going to do well here. You can you can keep the tree down in size through pruning, which is what you're basically going to have to do. Um, there are a lot of varieties in Northern Bear County. Uh, there is the John Fannick peach is a good peach. Uh, There's a variety called June Gold, which is a a cling peach. I wouldn't recommend it in southern Bear County, but northern Bear County, it's a very good, very sweet, very tasty peach. Uh, There is a white-mated peach called Melba, M-E-L-B-A. Many people call it the honey peach because it is so sweet in flavor. Um, It might be good to put a low-chill peach in just because some years we're not going to have as much winter and you may not get as many chilling hours as some of the others require so i might stick to sam houston into the mix but uh, always plant at least two peach varieties and i would tell you be sure one of them is john fanick i just think that's an excellent peach for this area
6: all right well that sounds great thank you for answering my question
0: and congratulations on your new home i'm sure we'll have lots to talk about over the next few months kelsey call me anytime thank you you're welcome <laughs> goodbye okay penny is next good morning penny
7: good morning how good are morning you?
0: i'm good how about yourself
7: oh i can't complain we woke up today so
0: <laughs> that's that's how it all begins as <laughs> a friend of mine says it's better to be seen than to be viewed
7: uh exactly um so uh, my question for today is um i was gonna i was thinking of trimming back on my trees and my shrubs like this week that'll be a good time
0: trees yes shrubs um i probably wouldn't uh with most shrubs uh it won't hurt anything but here are two things you need to know about shrubs some shrubs bloom on wood that grew last fall. If you have Indian hawthorns, if you have flowering quince, if you have spirea, if you have primrose jasmine, if you prune any of those things now, you're sacrificing your spring flowers. Those oh, okay. plants we do not prune until after they have done their spring blooming. Okay. Shrubs that are basically evergreen, and that would be most of the hollies, that would be your Pittosporum, that would be... Oh, gosh, uh, just your your typical green shrub, viburnums, sloquats, things like that. You can prune them now, <laughs> but there are two negatives. One is they're probably not going to put on much growth until March or April, and they're going to look like they've had a ba- bad haircut for the next month or six weeks. On the other hand, if we were to get a prolonged, very warm spell, they could start putting on new growth and then freeze back, which is what basically happened with that first heavy freeze in October. So um, I personally think that mid to late September is going to be the preferred time to prune your non-flowering green shrubs, and also your summer flowering shrubs like crepe myrtles, those bloom on new wood. They're going to bloom on the wood that grew this spring, so it's okay to prune them in early spring. But things that bloom on last year's wood, like the hawthorns and all, you definitely do not want to touch those with the shears until after you've enjoyed the spring flowering.
7: Okay, so my crepe myrtles I shouldn't trim right now?
0: or You can But it's going to make them look kind of bare and ragged. If you Mm -hmm. prune mid to late February, then they come back into growth almost immediately. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like having a bad haircut that doesn't go away. Um, If you prune them late, then it grows back out very quickly. But if you prune them too early, you're going to have to live with uh, kind of shorn-looking plants until the warmer spring weather puts on the new growth.
7: Okay. Okay. And um, also I have a bougainvillea that has just taken over and I want to get rid of it because it's just, it's huge. It's very pretty, but it's like starting to overgrow my lemon tree and I prefer my lemon tree.
0: (laughs) Well, cut it down near ground level and then get in there with a grub and hoe and uh, it'll be five minutes worth of hard work. But it does not sprout back from the roots. You're going to just basically have to chop out that little stump-like thing. But, you know, do cut it back, you mm-hmm. know, viciously so that you're not hurting yourself with the thorns and all. It'll be much easier. Cut it back to six inches tall. Get after it with your grub and hoe, and it'll be a little bit of work, but you'll be rid of it completely.
7: Okay, and um, also if we want to, we have uh, Bermuda in our backyard, and I hate it. Okay. It is like a lot of work. If we want to do St. Augustine, how how do you suggest doing that?
0: St. Augustine is a stronger grass than Bermuda, and if you water and if you fertilize, it will choke out Bermuda. It's very difficult to kill Bermuda, but healthy St. Augustine will choke it out. Just remember, like I was talking with the previous caller, I really don't like to see huge expanses of St. Augustine because uh, it's not that it is water-thirsty. St. Augustine doesn't take any more water than Bermuda or zoysia does to look nice, but if we get into a drought and we have to stop watering Um, your bermuda your zoysia will turn brown your st augustine will die so i'm not into big big uh, lawn areas but i like i say i love st augustine i think a limited amount of it is uh, very good in the landscape but uh, don't feel like you have to kill out the bermuda just put plugs of st augustine in there uh, you water them you fertilize them they will choke out the bermuda given a growing season or two
7: Oh, perfect. And one last question. And um, we have planted, or I have planted a, um, oh shoot, the passion vine. Yes. And I love it. It's gorgeous. I know that it brings the butterflies and I get cocoons and everything, but it's like taking over. It's like popping up in random places throughout the yard. And it's just, if you go three days without pulling and cleaning, it Uh looks like a jungle out there. (laughs) How do I get rid of it?
0: Welcome (laughs) to the jungle. (laughs) You know, I guess you could always move, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a matter of just, you know, very vigorously, uh, and if it's coming up in the yard, just mow it off. You don't have to pull it up, just, you know, mow it off and, but let it grow up you know along the fences along the places where it can mm-hmm. grow as a vine without being a problem if you let part of it grow up and make a bigger plant you'll find that it makes fewer suckers off to the sides. so uh um i mean if you truly want to eliminate it you're looking at a lot of effort with a dig it with a grub and hoe or something like that and some time to get rid of it but uh I'm it's not nearly as bad a weed as some other things that tend to sprout up around so I'd I'd live with it and just mow it off where it comes up in places you don't want it
7: okay yeah because it looks pretty on the side and like I say with all our fruit trees and flowering trees and shrubs I know that it's beneficial because it brings oh absolutely
0: brings a lot of pollinators in and plus they're beautiful flowers and very fragrant if you have the incense variety
7: No, that's just a pretty purple one. Very good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, sir, and I hope you have a wonderful day. And
0: you do the same, Penny. Appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, let's get back to gardening. Ed and Frank and Anna and Kay, and Ed's up first. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. Morning, sir.
2: Um, I've got a a couple of questions. First, um, I've got a book called Range Plants of North Central Texas. Okay. It was put out by uh, the Natural Resources Conservation Service at Weatherford.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: it's very useful, but it doesn't cover everything for South Texas. Do you know if they publish one for, you know, different Uh, areas of the
0: state. I am not familiar with it, if they do, but you can simply go to the NRCS, uh, used to be Soil Conservation Service, now it's the NRCS. Uh, Go to their website or um, you look them up online and call and ask I mean, they are government servants, and, uh, you know, our taxpayer money supports them, so I have no hesitation about calling and asking. And, like I say, they haven't done as many publications in recent years. I suspect there is something out there, but I don't have a copy, and I really don't know anything about it, but they're just a phone call away.
2: Okay, well, I'll try the phone. I tried their website, but the way it's organized, I. I couldn't find the answer to my question
0: well, welcome to the world of government websites. I hope you've never visited the i r s website or Social security or anything else i I've never seen so much confusing, hard to search on websites in my life so uh, uh but I do know the people at the uh at the offices up in bernie and uh, throughout the hill country really nice people, really anxious to help, and um so far as I know. They are not affected by this so-called government shutdown. So let me know if you have problems getting in touch with them, and maybe I can get you direct line to you know okay. one of the one of the people I know there.
2: Great. Okay. Um, I I've been searching for a, lately uh, a book on how to propagate you know different types of plants, and I have the old one by Jill Noakes. Yeah. Uh, but when I was looking for them, there was one that was. Primarily written for like nurserymen, I guess. Yep. And it was, um, I mean, it included almost every kind of plant, and it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I couldn't, you know, I decided I couldn't afford it. But now I'd like to find a copy, and I haven't been able to to really find uh, what I'm looking for. Do you know uh, a book? you know, similar to what I'm describing?
0: Well, there is no one book, especially a book written specifically for Southern plants. Unfortunately, um, you know, the majority of the money spent in gardening and agriculture is spent north of the Mason-Dixon line, and a lot of uh, virtually all the things that are published are, you know, published with that in mind. So you're probably going to have to get a general text and then just, you know, plant by plant, You know, learn from it. I mean, I'll happily tell you anything you want to know about propagating in this area, I can probably give you some answers. You'll find a number of answers on uh, Howard Garrett's DirtDoctor.com website. But uh, some of the old books, there's the Ball Red Book. um, Gosh, you know, Gleckner, Fred Gleckner Company has published some things. So uh, those are places I would start. Uh, you can always try half price books. I found a hundred and fifty dollar manual for like ten dollars at half price books one time on tropical plants, and um that would be a great place to start your search. But um I gosh um I I don't really bring a specific title to mind. Uh we I might suggest uh, some of the bigger wholesale producers. Uh, local ones I'm not as crazy about, but, uh, call me at the nursery sometime and I'll give you a couple of numbers of people that we buy from who would probably be better qualified than I, as a matter of fact, uh, our, our caller James, we call him farmer James. It has a roadside, you know, produce stand and things like that. I'll try to remember to ask him next time we visit, uh, if he has a favorite, uh, as far as just a good propagating manual.
2: Okay, good. Um, do you know of any trick uh, to protect uh, small saplings from the bucks rubbing on them?
0: Well, I what I will do uh, on trees and things like that, I use a metal T-post. I don't drive them into the ground, but I'll use from two to six, depending on the size of the plant. I just put them up against the trunk, put a piece of baling wire around the top, piece of baling wire around the bottom, and leave them protected like that, uh, through the rubbing season, which basically runs from about, oh, September on through about, uh, March or April. And, uh, a physical barrier like that is the only thing I know of that really works. Uh, other places where it's more of a bushy plant, I'll just make a little cage I put around it with uh, some hog wire, the 4x4 four four, um, metal panels, and I'll use, you know, take three or four pieces the appropriate length and just uh, wire them together at the corners and just literally set that down over the top and then drive one T-post in to hold it in place. But um, beyond that, I don't know of anything other than a physical barrier that will really stop that. Uh, that marking you know people always think they're rubbing the velvet off their antlers that's a very small part of it they have scent glands as you probably know at the base of the antlers and other places on their body where they're they're marking their territory so to speak just like a like a dog does in a little bit more obvious fashion but uh and that's um that's that's about the only thing i know now if it is on you know a property where you are present almost all the time like you know i i live in deer country for instance we have learned that if we get to a tree that has been rubbed within just a few hours from the time that rub happens even if the tree is totally girdled by slathering on something like uh, what the dirt doctor calls uh plant goop or simply wrapping it with uh felt paper roofing paper to hold the moisture in Uh, There's a tissue called parenchyma underneath there that can totally reform even the vascular tissues, and it is possible to save a tree that's been through a bad rub. You just have to get to it before it dries out.
2: You saved, but I I just have so many. I'm looking for a source for some uh, native plants, uh, winter grapes or uh, the common persimmon and that sort of thing. Do you know of anybody that specializes in the uh, native?
0: there is a place up in austin which is called natives of texas Uh, i believe that they are both wholesale and retail um other than that there is a place up in uh, medina which is called love creek orchards and i know that uh, they grow a number of native plants but the problem is that unfortunately there's just not a lot of demand for natives so uh Uh, Most of us in the nursery business carry a few natives, but if you ask me for a nursery that is basically all about natives, check out, uh, first of all, Natives of Texas up in Austin and uh, see if they can help you, because they have the widest range of plant material of anybody I know.
2: Okay, great. Uh, All right, that's all my questions. I appreciate
0: it. Well, I appreciate the call. You have a great Sunday, and uh, I'll move on and talk to Frank. Good morning, Frank
4: hi hey, good morning bob how you doing
0: oh just another good day
4: okay well uh, i talked to you about it before now i'm getting ready to do some work i it was either just the drought uh, this past summer or something but anyway uh under uh, and around a uh big ash tree uh my uh my uh uh grass it was bermuda it's carpet grass and it just it, it died and There's nothing left there now but those long strands of, of root stuff Uh huh. and um so I decided I'm going to put something in there. I don't know whether to put that back in there again, make little, uh, you know, just uh, put some little clumps uh, of it around here and there, or is there something else I should use that would still be uh, kind of like grass, not not ground cover, because the backyard like three quarters of it's beautiful uh, carpet grass.
0: Right, it's kind of what you want, Frank. The the problem with going back with more grass is just by virtue of the way that an ash tree grows you're going to have more and more roots up toward the surface of the soil they're not rising up in the soil but the shallow roots that an ash tree has keep getting bigger and so somewhere down the road it's going to get very difficult to mow that area you're almost going to have to do your mowing with a line trimmer rather than with a lawnmower because these roots are just right up where they're going to interfere with your mower blades so you have to keep that in mind if that's an issue you could replant with monkey grass or dwarf monkey grass or a ground cover like uh ovenka minor or Asian jasmine or something like that that you know doesn't require such regular trimming um or, like I say, you go back with uh Saint Augustine's the only grass going to grow in that much shade, but just recognize that somewhere down the road you're going to be mowing that area with a line trimmer instead of a lawnmower because of those shallow roots.
4: If I plant those little clumps of uh of uh saint Augustine then uh And how far apart would I plant them, and about how long would it take them to fill
0: in? Well, those are the two related questions. If you want them to fill in within a year, plant your little clumps about one foot from center to center one foot on center we call it and assuming that you're getting enough light through that ash tree you should have a solid lawn within a year's time provided you do your part with watering and fertilizing now you can spread them out further and it'll take a little bit longer to fill in but if you want a a nice lawn within one season our general rule is four inch squares uh one foot on center
4: Okay. And that monkey grass, uh, how about that? Is that
0: seed or is that planted also? No, sir. Also? That, is, that is planted uh, from usually from little four-inch pots. Uh, it's uh-huh. much slower to spread, but on the other hand, it literally never has to be mowed. You don't have to do much of anything to care for it, and it just gives okay. a nice dark green look. There's a dwarf form, which never gets over a couple of inches tall. Then you have the standard monkey grasses, going grow eight to 12 inches tall.
4: Okay, Bob. I'm. I'm going to come out there and uh, out there and, and talk to you guys a little bit more and buy what I need. Then
0: we look forward to helping to you. you. We will look forward to it, Frank. Thank you, sir.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, Bye. Bye.